This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, we're studying the mighty book of Revelation. We started teaching the, the book of Revelation many months ago, and we're only in chapter 6 now, and I want to kind of pick up for you where we left off in our last time together. So if you would, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. And again, they will get these scriptures on the screen the best uh, that they possibly can. I'm going to reread for you verses 1 and 2. It uh, propels us into the thought where we left off, and I think it's probably best that we do that uh, rather than jumping right into verse 3. So let's look at this together tonight. Again, John is writing. He's on the island of Patmos. The year is AD 96. John is placed on Patmos because of the preaching of the word of God. And uh, it was believed that uh, he would either die on Patmos or uh, if he wanted to preach, he could preach to himself. And so it was to be uh, a solitary confinement type of a punishment for John. And uh, so that's where he's at and that's what's happening a lot has been already said and discussed in these previous chapters and verses leading us up to where we are now in this verse. Okay, so having said that, let's look together Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. And I saw, he's a, he's a eyewitness to this. He's speaking from uh, firsthand uh, experience. And when I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard as it were the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying, come and see. In verse number two, and I saw and behold a white horse. Now we're going to talk about this to some degree tonight because there are four. And uh, we want to uh, identify each one, what they represent and uh, who is the rider. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow. If we retrace these steps in this verse, we understand that this is not talking about Jesus. Jesus is mentioned in Revelation riding a white horse. This scripture is talking about the Antichrist. And we have already said much about him, and I'm going to identify several things tonight about him as he now comes on the scene. You have to understand that the rapture in chapter 4, uh, we've already been through that aspect of it, the rapture of the church. That's when the trumpet of God will sound according to the word, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together and will meet the Lord in the air. Here's the thing. When the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ rises first. Now all of this happens in the twinkling of an eye. That's the amazing thing. Somebody calculated a twinkling of an eye many years ago, and it was calculated to be approximately a 20th of a second. So think about the things that has to happen in a 20th of a second, the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. The trump of God will sound. When the trump of God sounds, it will awake the church. It will awake the bride who have died in the past. This is New Testament saints. They will hear the trumpet. They will be raised from the dead according to the word of God, in a resurrected body. We'll talk about that in just a minute. While that's happening, think about it. 
from the depths of the oceans, buried deep in the rainforest of Brazil, the Amazon, wherever dust, and the word says that we return to dust when we die. People have asked me about those that are cremated and so forth. Let it rest with you tonight. Every person that's ever lived and died in Christ, according to the word of God, as far as the New Testament goes, they will be resurrected at the trump of God. The word of God says in the twinkling of an eye, they will come out of their grave. They'll come out of the depth of the sea. Wherever their dust remains, it will happen simultaneously when the trump of God sounds all over the earth. Those who have died in Christ will be caught up. Now, at the same time, people who are living, believers who are living in the time of the rapture, they will also be caught up. So the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ are raised. Those who are alive and remain are raised. Now, what happens here at this point is that that's when we receive our glorified bodies. I've tried to rest that for many years teaching these prophecy series, and there's some people that are totally confused on it. One misconception about death for a believer is that uh, every, everybody that dies as a believer will turn into an angel. That's not scripture. That's a myth. Uh, we, we might, that's a warm and fuzzy thought, but it's not, it's not the gospel. It's not the truth. And so there are a lot of things that people imagine that happens when a person dies. But according to the word, our time is limited tonight. That is when we receive the glorified body. We, we don't receive a glorified body on the day we die. That's a misconception. That's not the word. A believer who dies in Christ will receive a glorified body, but that's not given until the day of the rapture. In that translation, when the dead in Christ are raised out of the grave and the believers who are alive on the earth at the time of the great trumpet sound, we are simultaneously caught up, and that's when we meet the Lord Jesus in the air. When we meet him at that, now his feet does not set on the earth at that time. This is the rapture. We meet the Lord in the air. What takes place is the judgment seat of Christ. There will not be one lost person at the judgment seat of Christ. The lost are not judged with the righteous. The great white throne down the road of these events is reserved for the lost. But the ransom and the redeemed will meet the Lord Jesus in the air. When we meet him in the air, that's where the judgment seat of Christ takes place, and that's when seven years of tribulation begins. It's at this point when the trumpets sound and all of these things are happening simultaneously, the rider of the white horse comes in. This is the Antichrist. And he comes riding in. This white horse is a symbol of peace. He comes riding in as a peacemaker. He will have the ability to call for peace all over the world, and it will be a false peace. He begins with the nation of Israel. He, he makes a false treaty of peace with them for three and a half years. What that means is that he will set himself up as a Messiah to them, he will allow them to build their temple. And I've been asked this question many times in my Bible study. 
Pastor, do you think the third temple will be built prior to the rapture or immediately after the rapture? I personally believe that it will be built immediately before the rapture, and I'll tell you why. Because the Word says that when the rapture does take place, the Antichrist comes in as a peacemaker. He's going to allow these Jewish people, the nation of Israel, to worship in their temple. Now, again, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not a fortune teller, and I I cannot see things all the way that they may be. But I do believe that because the Antichrist will allow them to worship in their temple for three and a half years, then there has to be a temple. So it's very possible that the temple will be built right before the rapture. When that takes place, if we are still on this earth and you see the new temple, the third temple being built, you look up because your redemption draws nigh. But what is happening is he comes in as a peacemaker and they say, oh, he's got to be the Messiah because he doesn't just come in with flattery words. That's part of the deal. But he will also come in and in this worship in the temple thing, he is going to allow them to resume the sacrifices the way they did in the Old Testament. And he is going to let them offer sacrifices. They're going to think, man, this this has to be the Messiah. So he comes in riding the white horse, and that's where we are in the scripture. And I saw, behold, a white horse, and he, the Antichrist, that sat on him had a bow. We've talked about that. A crown was given. This is not a victor's crown. He did not win this crown because of being a victor in battle. He comes in as a peacemaker, and you know the scripture here. He had a bow, but there are no arrows mentioned in this scripture. All right, that's significant in the study. A crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's not where the bloodbath begins. Now, I gave you some landmarks of the Antichrist, some some characteristics of him, what he's going to be doing as he rides in on the scene. I'm going to give you these real quickly here because I want to pick up where we left off. I don't have time to repeat it all. Number one, He will be the head of the Gentile nation. How is that possible? How is it possible that the Jews would accept a Gentile as a Messiah? Well, again, as we have said, and we have showed you that I believe that the Antichrist will have a dual citizenship. Paul was a perfect example of that. All right, so I gave you the scriptures for this. Number two, he is going to appear with cult-like abilities. What do I mean by that? He has the ability to win people from all kinds of denominations uh, and all kinds of uh, cunningness. In fact, I do want to give you the scripture. It's not in the media back there, Brother Yuri, but I want, I want to show you this again. He has the ability, so Daniel chapter 11, he comes in with the ability to just speak. He, he wins with, with flatteries and he wins over with the deceptions of false miracles and so forth. But in Daniel chapter 11, verse 21, let me show you this. Daniel has a prophecy pertaining to what I'm talking about. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 21, And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And so that's what's happening here in Revelation 6-2. All right, number three, 
he definitely will be a political leader. He will be able to captivate the minds and hearts of the political realm of society uh, very easily. Number four, he is going to have worldwide influence. Everybody will believe him and flock to him, and uh, there will be no hesitation of that. Number three, and or number five, in his rise to power, he is going to destroy, completely annihilate three different nations. Now, I want, since you're in Daniel, Yuri, hold it there for Daniel chapter 7, and I want you to see verse number 8 and verse number 24. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. That's talking about the three uh, nations that will be destroyed. And behold, in in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. And we just read that uh, in the previous scripture that we referred to. But let's look at verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. So three nations in this uh, romantic deception uh, will be annihilated. Number six, real quickly. As I just mentioned, he will make a seven-year covenant with Israel, and he is going to break it after the first three and a half years. Daniel's prophecy uh, is talking about this as well as we read in Revelation. And in this moment of the treaty with Israel being broken, it's called the abomination of desolation. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel mentions this. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, this is talking about uh, Daniel's 70th week of prophecy. By the way, I believe we're in the 69th week right now. But look at this. It says, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. What does that mean? Where he has given the Jewish people free reign on not only, uh, I believe, being instrumental in the building of the, the the building of the third temple, but he is also going to uh, allow them to offer these sacrifices. But what happens in the midst, in the middle of the th- of the seven year tribulation period? He is going to abruptly stop that. He is going to set himself up as God. He is going to drive these Jewish people out of the temple, no longer allowing them to come in to worship to offer sacrifices, and according to the word of God, they're going to flee to the mountains of Petra. Uh, There will be a price on the head of every Jew. And at this point, everybody who is professing uh, the name of Christ. As I mentioned, there are going to be some people saved in the tribulation that has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They are saved from the preaching, first of all, from the two witnesses, and then they are going to, from those two ministers, Elijah, Moses, I believe, you can believe differently, but from their preaching, 144,000 Jewish priests will be saved. All the word says from the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of Judah, and from their preaching, multitudes of million. John says that the number was uncountable. And so uh, all of this starts to rapidly take place here. 
as we talk about this. Now, let's look at the rest of the verse, Daniel 9, 27. And in the midst of the week, that's talking about the middle of the, th- the, the three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. That means he's no longer going to allow them to worship and to offer the sacrifices in their temple like they did in the days of the Old Testament. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. It's going to be, this is where the catastrophic devastation of the tribulation begins to really escalate. Number seven, he's going to authorize, I believe, the execution of the two witnesses that God sends back to this earth that preaches at this point. Now, I'm going to read for you why I believe that these two witnesses are Elijah and Moses. I have referenced this before, but it's something that you really need to nail down. Why do I believe that one of them is Elijah? So you can believe it's John the Baptist and you can believe it's Peter, James, and John. It it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you why I believe it. In Malachi chapter 4, this is important. I believe this is probably the most clearest passage uh, about the description. But God says, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful, here's the key, day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's when he does come back to this earth. That's when his feet does stand upon the Mount of Olives and the mountain cleaves in two. That's when he defeats the Antichrist. So it's clear as day that Elijah is one of the witnesses. Now, I believe Uh, And I'm going to uh, share with you here in Revelation chapter 11, verse. let's look at verses 6 through uh, 8. Now, according to the word of God, these two witnesses now, they have power to shut heaven, look at this, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Okay, so what prophet was it in the Bible that did exactly that, stopped the rain? It was Elijah. Reign not in the days of their prophecy. You've just seen the scripture in Malachi. Now look at this. And this is the description of the second witness. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. All right, now who did that? Moses. So I believe that the Bible is identifying the two witnesses, but it won't make you any more saved if you believe otherwise. So this has nothing to do with the plan of salvation. This is the plan of God in the end times. Now, look at um, verse 7 and 8, because here's what the Antichrist will do uh, in the tribulation. And when they shall have finished their testimony, God has sent them here for a divine purpose. He's reaching out to the nation of Israel. You remember what Paul prayed? He said, I pray that all of Israel would be saved. God is reaching out in one final effort to extend his mercy, his grace to his chosen people. And as these two witnesses come down to fulfill that mission, 
and they're preaching. And uh, the Bible says if anybody tries to hurt them, that the word says, and fire proceedeth out of their mouth. So it's going to be a dangerous thing for anybody to try to harm these two witnesses while they are on the set mission. But when their mission is over, when they have reached the last one, when they, that God has sent them here to witness to, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit, we talked about that. How did the beast get in the pit? Now he's coming out of the pit. All right. Look at this. Shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So when the ministry of these two witnesses are over, by God's declaration of now it's over, the Antichrist is going to come against them. God is going to remove that protective hedge from them. You remember where fire proceedeth out of their mouth. If any man tries to hurt them, they're going to be killed and so forth. God lifts that hedge. You know, that's another subject altogether. I think all of us as believers, we are living every day by the mercy and the grace of God. Every day. And I believe that we have not only guardian angels, but I believe that all of us live within the mercy and grace of God in a protective hedge. And I believe that a person can say no one too many times to the Holy Spirit and God will say, okay, have at it. And he can remove that hedge. You remember the devil tried to bargain with God. He said this about God's great servant, Job. He said, listen, this man, he has, he has phony baloney. He said, I can get this man to curse you and want uh, to bring shame to your name and so forth. And God said, no, he'll, he'll not do that. And the devil said this, if you take the hedge from him, He'll curse your name and die. God said this, I'll take the hedge from him, but you cannot kill him. And the story goes that Job went to his knees in despondency. His wife even said, curse God and die. Do you remember what Job said? Though he slay me, I will trust him. He stood back and he said, I know my Redeemer lives. In all of his despondency and hurt and pain, Job still maintained his integrity. Even when God took the hedge. So what I, my point is this. In this hour of tribulation, God has a momentarily hedge over these two witnesses. When their ministry when their mission is over, he takes that hedge off of them. The Antichrist, the, the writer, will see as he develops this red horse, black horse, and pale horse, as all of these things begin to develop, the Word of God says this, he is going to kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Saddam and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. You know that he was crucified right outside the city walls in Jerusalem. All right, so their bodies are going to lay in the street for three days. The Antichrist is going to throw a worldwide block party. 
to the point where they're laughing and exchanging gifts with one another over the dead bodies, but God will raise them up. That's not the teaching tonight. That's another day. But look at, let me give you this real quick. Number eight, he, he does transition from a peacemaker to a false God. He is going to set himself up as God. And, uh, Revelation chapter 13 and verse number eight and 11. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. See, he doesn't come in immediately on his white horse demanding that people worship him. He comes in as a peacemaker with flatteries, Daniel said. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not. The, 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 this is talking about the lost world whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now this is definitely talking about the Antichrist. And in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to notice verse number 4. And Paul writes it this way. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. He is demanding now that he be worshipped. He's, he's demanding. It's sort of like, if you remember also in the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, he set an image up in the plain. The word says in the plain of Dura. It, it's, it was a place where you could see as far as the eye could see. And he said this. He said, I'm going to build this image. I'm going to set it in the midst of Durham. He said, and then when all the music starts to play, he said, I demand that everybody fall on their face, their knees, and worship this image. I demand it. Of course, you know how the story goes. When the music began to play, people fell on their face. And when all the dust from this magnitude of people had settled back to the ground, there were three Hebrew boys still standing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the point being, Nebuchadnezzar set the image up and he demanded that it be worshipped all over the, all over the place. Now, that's what the Antichrist does here in this verse. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. What he is saying is, this is a one world religion now. No one can worship anything but me. That's his declaration. So that he, the Antichrist, as God, sitteth in the temple of God. He drives the Jewish people out of the temple. He now builds an image of himself in the temple. Now he's got the Jews in Petra. He's in the temple and he's demanded that everybody worship him. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So let me say this as we wind down in the final closing moments of this Bible study tonight. There is a huge, huge difference between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. Jesus came down from heaven. The Antichrist will come out of hell. Jesus came in his Father's name, the Antichrist 
will come in his own name. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. The Antichrist will exalt himself above all that is called God. Jesus Christ was despised and rejected of men. The Antichrist will be admired and worshipped by the earth. Jesus came to do his Father's will. The Antichrist will come to do his own will. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Antichrist will come to seek and destroy. Jesus came as truth. The Antichrist will come as a lie. Jesus came as the Holy One. The Antichrist will come as the lawless one. Jesus came as the sinless one. The Antichrist will come as the son of perdition. Jesus Christ will be lifted up to a throne and the Antichrist will be brought down to hell. And so tonight I say this, that there is a huge difference between the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. Let me close by saying this. Because I've been asked many questions, have I said, about all of this end time thing. And people have asked me from time to time, Pastor, who do you think that the Antichrist is? First of all, they ask me, do you think he's living today? I most absolutely do believe it. I believe he's, he is on the earth. And people say, well, Pastor, who do you believe he will be? We've already preached a message on that. We've taught the scriptures on that. Let me end by saying this. I would not spend time and the little bit of time we have left looking for the Antichrist. We need to spend time, what little time we have left, looking for the Christ to come. The word says looking for that blessed hope. The last prayer of the Bible Oh, I pray it every day. I encourage you to do it. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because in the twinkling of an eye, friend, the curtain will come closing hard. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.